Good morning. My name is Gary Weber. I'm the pastor here at Southside. I'm so glad you're here with us today. And uh, isn't it beautiful outside? Today, the official first day of spring, and it feels like it. It feels so great out there. Um, if you don't know that it's spring, uh, some of you know maybe by the fact that you're sneezing and your eyes are watering and the pollen is, is great. Another way you can know that it's spring is how many of you have su- struggled this week with daylight savings time and you felt just a little tired all week long? Isn't it amazing how one hour change uh, in your schedule can really upset your biological clock, that you just find yourself maybe just a little tired, or at least you've got a good excuse this week that you feel maybe a little more tired. Well, just so that you know, today, this very day, March 20th, 1918, Congress uh, passed a law implementing daylight savings time. So 1918, you can thank that decision that was made. Now, there's a difference between knowing the fact, almost like the trivia, that the law was passed in 1918, uh, instituting daylight savings time, and actually experiencing the change of time that we've all experienced last Sunday and maybe have been struggling to catch up with all week long. On one hand, you can know the fact of it, but not necessarily experience the truth of it. There's a difference between knowing a fact and experiencing a truth. You know what I'm talking about? So, for example, how many of you in high school were supposed to learn the periodic table? Anybody? Yeah. All of you, if you were in high school science, you should have, you were supposed to. Now, how many of you know the periodic table? Anybody? Some of you still know it. Okay. Now, there's a difference between, there's a difference between knowing the periodic table and being a chemical engineer, right? Just because I know the periodic table does not necessarily mean that I am qualified to be a chemical engineer and to make compounds. Those two are, are totally different things. It's, it would be sort of like, for example, if, if, I were to go into a, uh, if I were to go into a laboratory where there were a bunch of chemical engineers and I were to uh, acknowledge the periodic table and and say a fact and sound smart in that room, nobody would be impressed with the fact that I knew the periodic table in that setting. Now, in this setting, if if those of you who said you still knew the periodic table, if I invited you to stand up and say it, we'd all be impressed. But come on, let's face it. What do we know about chemical engineering? We don't know much about it. Some of you maybe out there are chemical engineers. But there's a difference between knowing that fact and then understanding the truth of the fact in order to implement it and make it have a, an impact on our daily lives. It, it's almost like, for example, some of you have heard the statement said, you know, even a broken clock is right twice a day. Now, for those of you who don't know how to read these kind of clocks, that doesn't make any sense for you. The, because I know some of you were raised, and you're looking at this, and this looks like prehistoric time, you know, time devices. But people still do use these, and, um, and, and the, the idea is this, that a clock that is stopped is still going to be, re- be correct. For example, this one uh, is stopped at 11.36, 11.37. So at 11.37 tonight, it will be correct. It'll be right. And then at 11.37 tomorrow morning, it will be correct. But this other clock tells me what time it is right now. It gives me a moment by moment. It captures the truth of the time. This clock is stopped somewhere in the past. Knowledge that we get in our mind is sort of like a a broken clock. 
It was true in a moment, but does that truth have ongoing meaning in our lives today? As as I was thinking about this idea of of what is truth and how do we understand truth, and, and as I was thinking about the idea of time, you know, Christianity is rooted in history. Christianity is rooted in events that actually took place. It's not just a philosophy or a worldview or a, a religious or a, spiritually under, a spiritual understanding. There's something more that goes on. There's more to the claims of Christianity than just about spirituality or faith. The claims of Christianity find themselves in time and space in specific moments. And they are either events that happened or they didn't happen. Events that took place in history or they didn't take place in history. So the claims of Christianity are are pretty simple, and they're this, that that mankind has a problem. We've been talking about this for several weeks. Uh, No matter how much we achieve, uh, no matter what we accomplish, there is something missing. Uh, Society doesn't seem to be getting better with all of our advances in knowledge and technology and science and medicine. In fact, we look around and maybe we're more aware today of the brokenness of our society uh, than we've ever been aware of it before. There's something missing. And on a personal level, I'm deeply aware that something is wrong. Nothing ever fully satisfies me. I always want for more. I always long for something more. And, and so we said that Jesus has come into the world, that God took on flesh and came into the world with a very specific mission. And the mission was this. He said, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly, that God has come to show us how to really live, But Jesus claimed in order for us to experience that life, that full and abundant life, we first had to be willing to die to an old way of living in order to begin a new life in him. And that in order to take care of what's broken inside of us, that Jesus himself died on the cross. That's what we celebrate in Passion Week or Holy Week, that coming up on Friday, Good Friday we call it, Jesus died. And we say that he did that in order to pay for the sins of all mankind, an event that took place in history. And then three hours later, or three days later, God raised him from the dead, meaning that we can have victory not only over sin, but over death itself. These are the events that are rooted in history that the church celebrates. And we celebrate these on an annual basis. We look back and we reflect over events in history. But sometimes I wonder, is it like a broken clock? These are events that took place somewhere in time, but the clock just stopped and it's something that we reflect and we remember. Or does the truth of these events have an ongoing implication and meaning in our life? Does it mean something for me today? And do we know that the events actually happened? Or are they just stories and legends that have been passed down from one generation to another? You know, the, the Bible is really not just a book. The Bible is a collection of ancient texts and literature. So in the New Testament, there are 27 ancient collection, the 27 ancient books that have been collected together that we call the New Testament, and they all testify, they all give testimony to the events of the life, the ministry, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. All of these texts point to that, but they're not the only texts that tell us about that. So if, if you're one of those people who say, well, I don't know if I can believe what the Bible says about the events of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, let me just share with you a few other sources that testify to the actuality 
of these events. There was, a, there was a Roman historian and senator by the name of Tacitus who was born in 56 AD. And when he was writing the history of Rome, he included this statement that Jesus suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius, which of course confirms what we read in the New Testament. There was a Jewish historian by the name of Josephus who reports that a, a, a Roman official by the name of Pontius Pilate um, is the one who condemned Jesus to be crucified. That's also, we find that in the New Testament. There was a Greek, uh, play, uh, the, a Greek playwright who was uh, name, by the name of Lucian who mentions the crucifixion of Jesus. He's a satirist and he even mocks the idea uh, that Jesus was crucified. There was a pagan by the name of Mara Barsepian who confirms that Jesus was executed. And there is the Jewish Talmud, which is sort of the Jewish commentary on the Old Testament. Uh, this, this Jewish commentary even says that Jesus was killed. So w- most historians, most people understand and accept, whether they are Christians or not, whatever their worldview is, most historians today understand and believe the claim that there was a man named Jesus of Nazareth who lived uh, in Palestine at this time and, in fact, that he was executed. So the, the claims of Christianity, the basic claim, is rooted in fact— uh, but the question might be for you, so what? So, so it's rooted in fact. There were a lot of people who died by execution in that time at the hand of the Romans. Uh, lots of folks who experienced uh, life at that time and died, but their life, like a broken clock, just stopped. It doesn't necessarily have ongoing implications for me. And if Jesus was just another would-be Messiah then the fact that he lived and that he died at the hands of Romans wouldn't have any effect on us today. Jesus would be just another in a long line of broken clocks. He was right for a time. Maybe his life had meaning for an instant, but his moment has passed, and he's no longer relevant, and time has moved on. And maybe occasionally we find his teachings useful or helpful, And so we find ourselves hearing him teach about loving your neighbor and caring for the poor and and, and honoring people. Maybe we hear all of those things and we think, well, that's useful. Maybe that's helpful to me, but it's almost useful in the way a broken clock is right twice a day. Even a broken clock can be right twice a day. So what are the impacts of Christianity on me here now? Does it have consequences and meaning for me today? Is it a truth that affects me today, or is it just some historic knowledge and fact that has no meaning? There are several uh, different kinds of people in the room today, but I think we all pretty much fall in in just a few categories. Uh, One category would be folks who are here uh, who maybe you don't even know the claims of Christianity. Maybe you don't know the story uh, of Jesus and his life and death and resurrection. Uh, Most of us here probably do, but there may be a few who don't even understand what the claims are. There are some of us here who know the claims, but we would say, you know what, that doesn't have any effect on me. I would acknowledge that perhaps there was a man named Jesus who lived, and, and yes, maybe he died at the hands of the Romans, but what difference does that make in my life today? Then there are others who are here who would say, you know what, I used to believe this. I used to think this had meaning for my life. 
But maybe I walked away from church. Maybe something happened when I was growing up in church. I had a bad experience with another Christian, and I walked away, and, and, and it's, it's like a broken clock. My faith would be like a broken clock. I can point to the moment. I can point to the instant that my clock stopped, and it doesn't have meaning. And then there would be others of us in the room today who say, we do believe that. We do believe not just the historic claims of Christianity, but we believe that it has meaning and truth for us today, that, that it, it, it has the power to change us and to make us into something more, to give us life that goes beyond just an existence in this world. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to John chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible with you today, there are some in front of you in the racks. If you don't have one at home, feel free to take that Bible as our gift to you. We'll also put these verses on the screens. For the last several weeks, we've been looking at um, an encounter that Jesus had shortly before the crucifixion. Jesus had three very close friends. They were two sisters and a brother by the name of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And uh, they were so close and they were so intimate, in fact, that when Lazarus became sick, Mary and Martha knew immediately what to do. They sent word to Jesus to come back and to heal their brother. They believed in the power of Jesus. They had seen him heal people. So they sent word to Jesus to come back. So imagine their disappointment when Jesus delayed and didn't come back and their brother died in the meantime. And Jesus shows up, and by the time he gets there, Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. And Mary and Martha confront Jesus, and they say, Jesus, we thought, we thought that if you had come, that you could have done something. If you had been here, there would have been a difference. But now, Lazarus' life has stopped. His clock has stopped. His life no longer has meaning. And Jesus said, to to Mary. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will not die, but will live forever. Lazarus's clock hasn't stopped. Do you believe this, Mary? Do you believe that by believing in me, by understanding my nature and who I am, that somebody can live forever? And then Jesus did the most amazing thing in public. He went and he called Lazarus out of the grave, and Lazarus came out of the grave and was alive. And this created a lot of controversy that would ultimately lead within the week to Jesus' crucifixion. So look with me at what happened next. Right after Lazarus has been raised from the dead, chapter 11, verse 45, many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. They saw these events that took place in history And they believed in him, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Now, the Pharisees had put word out for anybody who knew where Jesus was and knew what Jesus was doing to come back and to report to us what is going on. They were already beginning the process of trying to build a case to have Jesus arrested and ultimately executed. They wanted him silenced. And so in this crowd of people who were all standing around, they all saw the same exact thing. Jesus says, roll the stone away. Lazarus, come out. Lazarus comes waddling out of the grave all wrapped up in his grave clothes and Jesus says strip off his grave clothes everybody's watching everybody is amazed some of them believe in Jesus they suddenly know this isn't just something this isn't just another person another teacher there's something different about him his claims have power they have eternal consequences and they put their faith but some who saw the same exact thing instead went to the Pharisees and said hey we found him we know where he is In other words, 
Just because you see something, just because you know a fact, doesn't necessarily mean that that fact is going to have the power to transform your heart. That fact, that information can be like a broken clock. It was right, but it doesn't have ongoing power for me. John is using some illustrations here. He, he showed us how Jesus healed a blind man in chapter 9, and yet we see that the blind man wasn't the most blind person in the story. That these people who, who go back and report to the Pharisees, they were blinder than the blind man, but not only were they more blind than the blind man, they were deader than the dead man. That there was, there was something missing. They were existing, but they weren't truly living. There was something inside of them that was dead, that was just existing. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council. So all the religious leaders in Jerusalem are, are getting together. They gathered the council and they said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Boys, we got a problem. Not only are people claiming that he's the Messiah, but they're seeing him do signs that obviously indicate that he has power, that he is from God, and in fact that he might be the Messiah. If everybody believes in him and the whole crowd is turned towards him, then the Romans may be alerted and they may come back and they may take our authority away from us. You see, this this day and age, the Roman government came in and took over a region, but they would leave people in charge. So the, the Jewish leaders were allowed to continue to function as, in their capacity as religious leaders. They were allowed to continue to, uh, to have authority over the people. They were allowed to con- continue to collect the religious taxes and the temple taxes. And so they said, guys, this is going to threaten our power base. If people start believing that Jesus is the Messiah, the Romans could come in and they could take everything away from us and we will lose our authority. Verse 49, but one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better, listen to what he says, because he is getting ready to say something here that has such profound truth for himself and for all those listening to him, but not just for him. He is getting ready to say a truth that wasn't just factual in the moment, but has eternal consequences, and that the truth, if if the claims of Christianity are true, the truth of what he said is an ongoing truth that affects everybody sitting in this room today. Caiaphas, you do not understand, for it is better for you that one man should die for the people Not that the whole nation should perish. Even broken clocks are right twice a day. Caiaphas' statement is rooted in fact. It was expedient and convenient for the religious leaders that Jesus would die for the good of the Jewish power structure. It was better for Caiaphas and the religious leaders if Jesus were exterminated. But Caiaphas... Like a broken clock was right. The problem was he didn't know how right he was. Listen to what John said as John gives us commentary in verse 51. He did not say this of his own accord, talking about Caiaphas. He did not say this of his own accord, but being a high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. In other words, John is saying Caiaphas was right, but it wasn't just for the nation. 
It was because God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. It wasn't just right rooted in history 2,000 years ago. It's better for us right now if Jesus would die. It was better for everyone who would ever live, even right here on March 20th, 2016. It was better for one man to die than for everyone to perish. That's what he said. Now, it's interesting that Caiaphas would not be the only person who would make a statement of truth about Jesus and not fully understand what it was uh, that he was saying. Uh, Pontius Pilate, who wasn't even Jewish, he was a Roman official. Listen to what Pilate said as he was uh, bringing Jesus before the crowd who was calling for Jesus to be crucified. In John 18, 38, we find Pontius Pilate saying, I find no fault in him at all. In other words, Pilate, a pagan Roman official, said, this man is without sin. And he was right. That Jesus was completely without sin. After all, even a broken clock can be right twice a day. See, God can and often does speak through the most unlikely people. You read it from the beginning of Scripture all the way to the end. God speaks through evil kings. He speaks through pagan rulers. He speaks through children. He speaks through a fish that swallows a prophet. One time he even spoke to a man who was riding on a donkey. Which just goes to show that you should not underestimate what God is saying to you through the jackasses he's placed in your life. (laughs) Never underestimate the power of God to speak through even the most evil of people. God is not mocked. God has a purpose and a plan, and his purpose and his plan will come to fruition. And many of the people who are seeking to oppose God actually are the very people that God used to implement his plan. So listen to what happened. So verse 53, so from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Literally, that word made plans means they resolved. In other words, before the trial, Jesus' accusers and his judges had already made their decision that this man must die. And they were right. He had to die. Not just because it was expedient or convenient for the religious leaders. Not just because it was what would keep peace with Rome in in 2,000 years ago. But he had to die for me. And he had to die for you. Because it was the only way that the brokenness, the sin in my own life, was going to be resolved in order for me to have communion and to be gathered with God. Was to see Jesus pay the penalty for my sin and for your sin and for the sins of all the world. Verse 54, Jesus therefore no longer walked openly among the Jews, but he went from there to the region near the wilderness, to a town called Ephraim, and there he stayed with the disciples, but we have begun the march towards the crucifixion. And in just a few days, Jesus would die. And 2,000 years later, at churches all across our country and all around the world, people will gather And they will remember the events that we Christians claim took place 2,000 years ago. And while there is little or almost no debate over the historic facts of the life and the conviction and the crucifixion of Jesus, my question for you today 
is are those facts just a broken clock? Are those facts that are true but have no relevance for us today? Or do those facts have meaning for us, even here, even now? Let me share just a couple thoughts with you as we close. First this, that knowledge does not always lead to truth. Many people saw Jesus' signs and his miracles, but they still didn't believe. Pontius Pilate and Caiaphas had knowledge about Jesus. And they landed on the truth. But they were still left behind like broken clocks because they couldn't see the full implications of the knowledge that they possess. What they said wasn't only true for a moment, but their statements are perpetually true. Truths that are still true today. Jesus was the only faultless man. He was the only perfect sacrifice. The only one whose death could make payment for the sins of the world. Pilate was right. His death would be for the salvation of all people. Caiaphas was right. And so the question for us 2,000 years later is, is our life built on eternal truths or on temporary knowledge? Are your decisions made based on what is practical and expedient for the moment or for what is practical and expedient for all eternity? See, knowledge changes, but God's truths are eternal. And by that I mean God's truths have no beginning, they have no ending, they are always present realities. That's why when God introduced himself to Moses, he said, Moses, I am that I am. And when Jesus claimed to be God, he said, I am. He is an ever-present reality. The reality of the death of Jesus has to be more than just a moment that is frozen in time. Listen to what the scripture says about the death, the crucifixion of Jesus. That Jesus himself, he came in real time. Galatians chapter 4 verse 4 says, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son. In other words, there was a moment in history, a date and a time, that God intersected into humanity and Jesus was born. But also, his death was a reality before time. Listen to what it says in Revelation chapter 13, verse 8. The lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. Now think about that for a minute. That God, as he is breathing life into Adam, understood and knew the consequences and what would take place. That God, before he created man out of the dust, knew that it was going to cost him everything. And he did it anyway. See, the cross was not a last-ditch effort for the salvation of mankind or for your salvation. It was the plan from the very beginning. His death had a reality, was a reality before time, but listen to this. His death has ongoing implications. Listen to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 and 28. Everyone has to die once, then face the consequences. Christ's death was also a one-time event, but it was a sacrifice that took care of sins forever. That the death of Jesus 2,000 years ago can have an important impact, an eternal impact on your sins today. And here's the difference. The difference between Jesus' death being an isolated event, stuck back in history, a broken clock, and an ongoing reality is the resurrection. The answer to the question, does the death of Jesus matter today, is found in the answer to another question. Is he still dead? If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then he, 
like so many other good teachers, religious leaders, and prophets, was only a broken clock. But it has no meaning for us. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, 14, and 19. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. In other words, church, listen. If Jesus, if the stories of the resurrection are not true, we should pack it up and go home. What are we doing here? Because his death had absolutely no meaning apart from the resurrection. But if Jesus did rise from the dead, then his death is an ongoing reality that affects every one of us today. And it has the potential to affect you and to change your life. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, this is why Paul said, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Because the death of Jesus is a present reality that we continue to die daily to ourselves. Paul said in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I am crucified, I am, present tense, I am crucified with Christ. Therefore, I no longer live. I don't know about you, but I have, to, I have to find myself dying to self every day. Because every day there's a new idea in my mind of a way I want to live and something I want to do. This is why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 31, I die every day. Because the death of Jesus 2,000 years ago has meaning for me today. Because Jesus is alive. But there's another reason. There's another reason that we should understand and know that if Jesus is alive, it has the power to affect us today. And that is this, that God will accomplish his plan in the world in you and through you despite the plans of his and your opposition. That's why Joseph, when he's speaking to his brothers in Genesis chapter 50, said what you meant for evil, God has used for good. Romans 8, 28, and I know that all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord, who have been called according to his purpose. This should give you confidence that to be alive in Christ today, because Jesus didn't stay in the grave, because God raised him from the dead three days later, that we can be alive in Christ. And as he has overcome, we too will be overcomers. We too will be able to overcome. One day... One day, everybody in this room will die. I know that's a cheerful thought for a beautiful spring morning. And it's one that maybe we don't want to think about very often. But one day, this will be your life. Your clock will stop. And you will either be left in time, frozen like a broken clock, Perhaps something you've done, something you've accomplished will outlast you. Perhaps future generations will remember you for a time. But you will become like Pilate and like Caiaphas, footnotes in history. Or, or you can believe that the death and life of a peasant Jewish carpenter 2,000 years ago have meaning that still carry on today because God raised him from the dead. And you can receive the gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus. The only reason that we talk about Pilate and Caiaphas today, the only reason that they're remembered at all is because of their association with Jesus. Other than that, they, like so many others, are just broken clocks in history. 
And while the impact and ongoing reality of the death and the resurrection of Jesus continue to change people's lives 2,000 years later, those who stood in judgment of Jesus have been forgotten. But the power of the claims of Jesus still have the power to change lives today. And listen, I know these are radical claims. These are, these are almost unbelievable claims. And you can't do what I do on a weekly basis and not occasionally think to yourself, what if that's not right? I mean, some of you out here, if we're honest, you're sitting there and you're thinking to yourself, but what if you're wrong? I've asked myself that question. What if I'm wrong? And here's what I've come up with. If I'm wrong, then my clock will stop. And I will be no different than you. Just another broken clock. But here is the question. Here's the question that you need to think about and you need to answer. What if you're wrong? What if the death of Jesus did mean more than something that took place 2,000 years ago? What if the life of Jesus is more than another broken clock? What if I'm wrong? Then I'm no different than you. But what if you're wrong? So the the question for you today is... uh, What if it's true? My invitation for you this week, uh, for those of you who are here today and maybe you don't know, is to take this week, one week, one week compared to the claims of the promise of all eternity, it's worth one week for you just to say, what if it's true? What if there is hope? What if I don't have to live with the sin and the guilt and the shame? What if God has made a way for me to experience forgiveness and grace and hope and life? What if it's true? What if Jesus' death is more than a historic fact, but it's something that gives me the power to overcome both now and through all eternity? What if it's true? Maybe this week you would even just pray, maybe not even knowing if there's a God, but just say, God, is it true? Could you love me that much? Through Christ, could you have given me the power to have overcome brokenness and sin and death and the grave? Could it be that my clock doesn't have to stop and I don't become just another footnote in history, but that I can have what Jesus promised, which is eternal life, simply by believing and receiving the grace that I so desperately need? I'm going to invite you to stand as we sing a song of commitment, maybe for some. This is the beginning of a week-long invitation for others. Maybe you would come right here, right now. Maybe you would pray with others. But I invite you to invite God to do a work in your heart and to ask yourself the question, what if it's true?